Chapter 10 of Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Brian Aidy. Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne. Chapter 10 Traveling in Iceland. It ought, one would have thought, to have been night even in the sixty-fifth parallel of latitude. But still the nocturnal illumination did not surprise me, for in Iceland, during the months of June and July, the sun never sets. The temperature, however, was very much lower than I expected. I was cold, but even that did not affect me so much as ravenous hunger. Welcome indeed, therefore, was the hut which hospitably opened its doors to us. It was merely the house of a peasant, but in the matter of hospitality, it was worthy of being the palace of a king. As we alighted at the door, the master of the house came forward, held out his hand, and without any further ceremony signaled us to follow him. We followed him, for to accompany him was impossible. A long, narrow, gloomy passage led to the interior of this habitation, made from beams roughly squared by the axe. This passage gave ingress to every room. The chambers were four in number. The kitchen, the workshop where the weaving was carried on, the general sleeping chamber of the family, and the best room, to which strangers were especially invited. My uncle, whose lofty stature had not been taken into consideration when the house was built, contrived to knock his head against the beams of the roof. We were introduced into our chamber, a kind of large room with a hard earthen floor, and lighted by a window, the panes of which were made of a sort of parchment from the intestines of sheep, very far from transparent. The bedding was composed of dry hay, thrown into two long red wooden boxes, ornamented with sentences painted in Icelandic. I really had no idea that we should be made so comfortable. There was one objection to the house, and that was the very powerful odor of dried fish, of macerated meat, and of sour milk, which three fragrances combined did not at all suit my olfactory nerves. As soon as we had freed ourselves from our heavy traveling costume, the voice of our host was heard calling to us to come into the kitchen, the only room in which the Icelanders ever make any fire, no matter how cold it may be. My uncle, nothing loath, hastened to obey this hospitable and friendly invitation. I followed. The kitchen chimney was made on an antique model. A large stone standing in the middle of the room was the fireplace. Above, in the roof, was a hole for the smoke to pass through. This apartment was kitchen, parlor, and dining room all in one. On our entrance, our worthy host, as if he had not seen us before, advanced ceremoniously, uttered a word which means, Be happy, and then kissed both of us on the cheek. His wife followed, pronounced the same word, with the same ceremonial, then the husband and wife, placing their right hands upon their hearts, bowed profoundly. This excellent Icelandic woman was the mother of nineteen children, who, little and big, rolled, crawled, and walked about in the midst of volumes of smoke arising from the angular fireplace in the middle of the room. Every now and then I could see a fresh white head and a slightly melancholy expression of countenance peering at me through the vapor. Both my uncle and myself, however, were very friendly with the whole party, and before we were aware of it there were three or four of the little ones on our shoulders, as many on our boxes, and the rest hanging about our legs. Those who could speak kept crying out Salvertu in every possible and impossible key. Those who did not speak only made all the more noise. This concert was interrupted by the announcement of supper. At this moment, 
our worthy guide, the eider-duck hunter, came in after seeing to the feeding and stabling of the horses, which consisted in letting them loose to browse in the stunted green of the Icelandic prairies. There was little for them to eat, but moss and some very dry and innutrious grass. Next day they were ready before the door, some time before we were. Welcome, said Hans. Then tranquilly, with the air of an automaton, without any more expression in one kiss than another, he embraced the host and hostess and their nineteen children. This ceremony concluded to the satisfaction of all parties, we all sat down to table, that is, twenty-four of us, somewhat crowded. Those who were best off had only two juveniles on their knees. As soon, however, as the inevitable soup was placed on the table, the natural taciturnity common even to Icelandic babies prevailed over all else. Our host filled our plates with a portion of lichen soup of Iceland moss, and by no means of disagreeable flavor, an enormous lump of fish floating in sour butter. After that there came some skir, a kind of curds and whey, served with biscuits and juniper berry juice. To drink we had blonda, skimmed milk with water. I was hungry, so hungry that by way of dessert I finished up with a basin of thick oaten porridge. As soon as the meal was over, the children disappeared whilst the grown-up people sat around the fireplace, on which was placed turf, heather, cow dung, and dried fish bones. As soon as everybody was sufficiently warm, a general dispersion took place, all retiring to their respective couches. Our hostess offered to pull off our stockings and trousers, according to the custom of the country, but as we graciously declined to be so honored, she left us to our bed of dry fodder. Next day at five in the morning we took our leave of these hospitable peasants. My uncle had great difficulty in making them accept a sufficient and proper remuneration. Hans then gave the signal to start. We had scarcely got a hundred yards from Gardar when the character of the country changed. The soil began to be marshy and boggy, and less favorable to progress. To the right, the range of mountains was prolonged indefinitely, like a great system of natural fortifications, of which we skirted the glasses. We met with numerous streams and rivulets which it was necessary to ford, and that without wetting our baggage. As we advanced, the deserted appearance increased, and yet, now and then we could see human shadows flitting in the distance. When a turn of the track brought us within easy reach of one of these spectres, I felt a sudden impulse of disgust at the sight of a swollen head with shining skin, utterly without hair, and whose repulsive and revolting wounds could be seen through his rags. The unhappy wretches never came forward to beg, on the contrary they ran away. Not so quick, however, but that Hans was able to salute them with a universal salver too. "'Spedelsk,' he said. "'A leper,' explained my uncle. The very sound of such a word caused a feeling of repulsion. The horrible affliction known as leprosy, which has almost vanished before the effects of modern science, is common in Iceland. It is not contagious but hereditary, so that marriage is strictly prohibited to these unfortunate creatures. These poor lepers did not tend to enliven our journey, the scene of which was inexpressibly sad and lonely. The very last tufts of grassy vegetation appeared to die at our feet. Not a tree was to be seen except a few stunted willows about as big as blackberry bushes. Now and then we watched a falcon soaring in the gray and misty air, taking his flight toward warmer and sunnier regions. I could not help feeling a sense of melancholy come over me. I sighed for my own native land, and wished to be back with Gretchen. We were compelled to cross several little fjords, and at last came to a real gulf. The tide was at its height, and we were able to get over at once and reach the hamlet of Alftanes about a mile farther. That evening, after fording the Alpha and the Heta, two rivers rich in trout and pike, 
we were compelled to pass the night in a deserted house worthy of being haunted by all the phase of scandinavian mythology the king of cold had taken up his residence there and made us feel his presence all night the following day was remarkable by its lack of any particular incidents always the same damp and swampy soil the same dreary uniformity the same sad monotonous aspect of scenery in the evening having accomplished the half of our projected journey we slept at the annexia of the crossalp for a whole mile we had under our feet nothing but lava this disposition of the soil is called hron the crumbled lava on the surface was in some instances like ship cables stretched out horizontally in others coiled up in heaps an immense field of lava came from the neighboring mountains all extinct volcanoes but whose remains showed what they had once been here and there could be made out the steam from hot water springs there was no time however for us to take more than a cursory view of these phenomena we had to go forward with what speed we might soon the soft and swampy soil again appeared under the feet of our horses while at every hundred yards we came upon one or more small lakes our journey was now in a westerly direction we had in fact swept round the great bay of foxa and the twin white summits of sneffels rose to the clouds at a distance of less than five miles the horses now advanced rapidly the accidents and difficulties of the soil no longer checked them i confess that fatigue began to tell severely upon me but my uncle was as firm and as hard as he had been on the first day i could not help admiring both the excellent professor and the worthy guide for they both appeared to regard this rugged expedition as a mere walk on saturday the twentieth june at six o'clock in the evening we reached budir a small town picturesquely situated on the shore of the ocean and here the guide asked for his money my uncle settled with him immediately it was now the family of hans himself that is to say his uncles his cousins german who offered us hospitality we were exceedingly well received and without taking too much advantage of the goodness of these worthy people i should have liked very much to have rested with them after the fatigues of the journey but my uncle who did not require rest had no idea of anything of the kind and despite the fact that the next day was sunday i was compelled once more to mount my steed the soil was again affected by the neighborhood of the mountains whose granite peered out of the ground like tops of an old oak we were skirting the enormous base of the mighty volcano my uncle never took his eyes from off it he could not keep from gesticulating and looking at it with a kind of sullen defiance as much to say that is the giant i have made up my mind to conquer after four hours steady travelling the horses stopped of themselves before the door of the presbytery of stapi chapter ten